Welcome back to TanakhCast. This is episode 192. We'll continue in the Proverbs with a brief summary of chapters 4 through 7 and follow with some thoughts about advice and self-help gone awry. I did it again. In, in my zeal to launch into the Proverbs in the previous episode, I began the episode in the usual fashion. However, I promised a brief summary of chapters 1 through 4, but only summarized chapters 1 through 3. I apologize. This episode will have the right number of chapters and the requisite summaries. So, chapter 4 begins with a father's reproof and a little autobiographical info, with Shlomo recounting how he, too, was a son who learned important lessons from his father, like, quote, Let your heart hold on to my words, keep my commands, and live. Get wisdom, get discernment. Do not forget nor swerve from my mouth's sayings. Do not forsake her, and she will guard you. Love her, and she will keep you. The beginning of wisdom is, get wisdom. And in all that you get, get discernment. Dandle her, and she will exalt you, will honor you when you embrace her. And once you've embraced wisdom, you'll naturally avoid evil and evildoers and truly internalize the lessons deeply into your body. Quote, more than anything, watch, guard your heart. For from it are the ways out of life. Put away from you twisted speech and lips contortion keep far from you. Let your eyes look in front and your gaze straight before you. Level the pathway of your foot and all your ways will be sound. Do not veer to the right or to the left. Keep your foot away from evil. Chapter 5 begins with the same exhortation and in the process drops a lot of misogyny in verse form. Quote, For the stranger woman's lips drip honey, smoother than oil her open mouth. But in the end, she's as bitter as wormwood, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. In Sheol her steps take hold. The best remedy is sticking close to home. Quote, Drink water from your own well, fresh water from your cistern. Your springs will spread to the street in the squares, streams of water. But even more important than drinking the good waters of home, quote, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. So if we began the chapter with a wicked and wily woman, we conclude it in the embrace of a virtuous woman, and under God's watchful eye, who sees all and repays all with what they deserve. Chapter 6 begins with sound financial advice. Don't guarantee loans for others. This is not like the advice that Polonius advises. Neither a borrower nor a lender be. Do not forget, stay out of debt. Shlomo also counsels us to combat laziness by looking at the ant. Quote, For she has no foreman, no taskmaster, nor ruler. She readies her bread in summer, stores up her food at the harvest. Because we all know how the lazy end up, as well as the wicked. Their fates are similar. Shlomo also shares a listicle of the six things God hates with a bonus item of something God really hates. Quote, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands shedding innocent blood, a heart plotting wicked designs, feet hurrying to run to evil, a lying deposer, a false witness fomenting strife among brothers. There's something else that will also get you into trouble, women, especially the married ones. 
Quote, Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his garments burning? Can a man walk on glowing coals without his feet being scorched? Thus, who comes to bed with his fellow man's wife, whoever touches her will not go scot-free. For a man who surrounded himself with scores of women and filled his palace with them, I guess it's no wonder he's so fixated on the opposite sex, but it's not like these women had anything to do with their presence in the palace. It was his rapacious appetite that got him so embroiled. You know, psychologists have a name for all these warnings about wily women. It's called projection. Anyway, chapter 7 begins with the same formula, warns against smooth-talking alien women again, before presenting the story of a witless lad who fell prey to a dissolute woman who beckons, quote, Come, let us drink deep of loving till morn. Let us revel in love's delights, for the man is not in his house. He's gone on a far-off way. The purse of silver he took in his hand at the new moon, he'll return to his house. And so the lad goes in, quote, as an ox goes off to the slaughter, as a stag prances into a halter, till an arrow pierces his liver, as a bird hastens to the snare, not knowing the cost is his life. Is this story a cautionary tale or a metaphor for spiritual entanglement? It's not clear, but it's scary and it's evocative, which, when you're trying to make an impression on the impressionable, works really well. Shlomo the proverb maker begins many a chapter with the formula, quote, hear, O sons, a father's reproof and listen to discerning knowledge, or some variation thereof. As I said in the previous episode, Proverbs is part of the wisdom section of the Tanakh, and contrary to other wisdom books, Proverbs skews more didactic, in that Shlomo is here to teach us some concrete lessons about living a better life. And as I said in the previous episode, Shlomo grounds all wisdom in the simple precept that fear of God is wisdom. And in essence, the converse is also true. Wisdom is fear of God. And to borrow a phrase from the Babylonian Talmud tractate Shabbat 31a, this is the whole Torah, and the rest is interpretation. Go study. There's much more wisdom in Proverbs, of course, and we'll get to it in subsequent episodes, but there are folks out there who would be more than happy to share some wisdom with you to help you improve your life for a small fee. This, in a nutshell, is the essence of the self-help industry. The term itself, self-help, is a bit of a misnomer because you're not really helping yourself. You're taking direction from someone else in how to help yourself, so you're still being helped for a small fee, of course. But you're not doing it completely all by yourself, which is good because most of the time, help involves other people, which it should because helping is a fundamentally social activity, and it's a positive one. It helps knit people together into community. If help and helping was a uh, solely individual, solitary thing, you probably wouldn't be in the mess to begin with, unless you were that James Franco guy in 127 hours. Christine! 
But even in his case, all alone out there in the desert, the first thing he did was call for others to help. Help didn't arrive, so he had to help himself. In any event, in most cases, helping is social. But of late, and perhaps it's more pronounced as we get deeper and deeper into the death throes of late-stage capitalism, helping has become monetized. So for one low price, I will share with you through this handy book or masterclass or download all the tips and tricks and hacks you'll need to fix whatever ails you. You're a very bad man. Oh, no, my dear. I, I'm a very good man. I'm just a very bad wizard. I suppose this kind of grift has been around since Cain told his brother Hevel that he had something really wonderful to show him out in the fields, but perhaps one might be justified in being a little concerned about the spread and the extent of this grift, especially when it crosses over from the world of self-help into the world of street violence. What I'm referring to is Jordan Peterson and his dog's breakfast of a book, 12 Rules for Life, An Antidote to Chaos, and a self-help grift that metastasized into inspiration for the alt-right movement. And to think that all of this started, at least Jordan Peterson-wise, with a basic misunderstanding and a full-blown tantrum. In 2016, Bill C-16 sought to amend Canada's human rights law to include gender identity and protect trans people from discrimination in areas such as housing and employment. At that time, Jordan Peterson was a professor of psychology, and he took to YouTube to decry how the new legislation would compel speech and force him to use pronouns he didn't want to use. So say if a person presented themselves to Professor Peterson and asked to be referred to as she, and Professor Peterson decided that that person should be called he, Bill C-16 would force him to use an objectionable pronoun. Leaving it aside that we're talking about a person, a human being, and if that person tells you their preferred pronoun is she, respecting that person enough to use the preferred pronoun is probably the most basic, most elementary level of decency. But no. Bill C-16 is political correctness run amok. Any second now, the jackbooted thought police are going to burst in and force us to embrace concepts we don't like. This is totalitarianism. And the more he kvetched about this on YouTube, the more views he racked up. And he became one of those Canadian exports that had a minor impact at home, but a major impact south of the border. Kind of like a more obnoxious, more toxic version of Justin Bieber. Americans of a certain political persuasion just loved his jumble of alarmism about the PC police, hatred for modernity, and Jungian mythic archetypes. But Peterson, as Peterson will tell you, isn't a pundit. He's, he's a psychologist trying to help people withstand and survive the present moment, which is bewildering, especially for young, disaffected white men who find themselves drawn to a certain political ideology that advocates, among other things, white supremacy and anti-Semitism. All his talk about lobster hierarchies and how the life and death struggle of the crustacean is a good model for human society, it's not political, it's nature. So don't get suckered by talk about class conflict or systemic racism. The individual lobster, I mean person, can emerge victorious in the struggle by being aggressive and alpha and climbing the social ladder. Never mind that there are probably a thousand other examples of animals in nature that survive through mutual aid and cooperation. We're talking about lobsters. 
And only lobsters can transcend the, quote, dragon of chaos, which threatens us all. I would get deeper into Peterson's philosophy and worldview about the division between facts and meaning, the feminine and the masculine, and his take on rationalism, but it's a bit of a mess. I guess one idea, or bugaboo, kind of cuts through all of this. Postmodern neo-Marxism. This idea has little to do directly with his call for folks to make their beds and tidy their bedrooms and stand up straight, but let's see if I can reconstruct the story. Stalin, you know, Stalin, Stalin is bad. He killed a lot of people. And because Stalin was bad, Marxism and socialism are also bad. But Marxists, who still like Marxism, didn't want to give up on Marxism, so they adapted it so it was less Stalin-y and talked less about class and more about power. The result was postmodern identity politics, where all kinds of self-described marginalized groups like women and people of color and trans people, they attack or criticize Western society and they demand a redistribution of power and wealth. And in order to achieve this redistribution, these marginalized groups will need the state to expand its ability to force people to accept it, which is why the left is totalitarian. They start by forcing you to use pronouns you don't like, and pretty soon you'll end up in a concentration camp. <laughs> now there are many problems with this narrative, the first being that countless Marxists and socialists also came out against Stalinism, but I don't really care enough about Peterson's intellectual historicizing. I'm interested in his self-help stuff, which in all its attempts to transcend politics, is really deeply political. He tells his readers that capitalism is good because it lifts people out of poverty. Free markets are also good because they reward competence and elevate the worthy based on merit and their contribution to the market. And don't forget our lobster friends who teach us that hierarchies enforced by aggression and violence are natural. And most importantly, all of these constructs are not constructs at all, but natural parts of our lives. Just accept them and be happy. Even if your experience of them is miserable and immiserating. Because, hey, it's not the fault of the, maybe, you know, 1% or the hierarchy. And don't even think of scapegoating, you know, some social force like racism or sexism. Just be in charge of what you can be in charge of. Yourself. Quote, don't blame capitalism, the radical left, or the iniquity of your enemies. Don't reorganize the state until you have ordered your own experience. Have some humility. If you cannot bring peace to your household, how dare you try to rule a city? Let your own soul guide you. Let your own soul guide you? Such a pronouncement would never have made the cut into Proverbs, because it's not a proverb. At least it's not a biblical one. Kind of sounds like it, though. It actually brings us back to that hack Polonius from Hamlet. This above all, to thine own self be true. As I said, defenders of 12 Rules for Life would say that it's not a manifesto of hate, it has cute anecdotes about squirrels, it helps people. But what Peterson offers aren't just commonsensical pronouncements like stand up straight, tidy your room, or don't be a loser. He also insists that evil is endemic to humanity and that dominating some kinds of people is natural. Even Shlomo ben David would tell you that this is not wisdom, but dangerous bullshit. And he wouldn't ask for $12.95 in paperback or $7.99 on Kindle to share that with you. And it's not for nothing 
that Shlomo keeps hammering a simple point home, almost like a preamble in every chapter. We talked about it in the previous episode. The essence of wisdom is fearing God and following the path of righteousness. And that demands that you put away, quote, twisted speech and lips contortion, keep far from you. And that would also surely include 12 rules for life. Shlomo would have no patience for individuals who, quote, go about with a crooked mouth, winking his eyes, shuffling his feet, pointing with his fingers, perverseness in his heart, plotting evil, ever fomenting strife. So far, Shlomo has not encouraged you to tidy your room or make your bed, but he did offer other practical advice. Quote, Keep my commands and live. My teaching, like the apple of your eye, bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart, say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call discernment a friend. That's the path he wants us to be on. If you like what you hear today, spread the word about Tanakhcast. Tell a friend about Tanakhcast over coffee. Send another friend an email or text, nothing fancy. Help your aunt who just got her first smartphone to download a podcatcher and subscribe to Tanakhcast. And if you have a spare moment after all that, write a brief glowing review at Apple Podcasts. Apparently, it helps people who might be interested in a little Bible learning vibe this podcast. And it's also a nice thing to do. If you want to help in an even bigger way, support us at Patreon. Just search for Tanakhcast at patreon.com and pledge your shekels either on a one-time or monthly basis and receive special blessings from the Most High. I thank you in advance for that and encourage you to join us again in two weeks for... Episode 193, when we continue in the Proverbs with chapters 8 through 11.